I'm going to preach based on our parable this morning, this parable in Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. It's a brief parable, and it's, it's a parable that's unique to the, the gospel of Luke. You don't get this in the other gospels. And it teaches us to persevere in prayer. It teaches us not to get discouraged, not to give up coming to God in prayer. Are there reasons why you might be tempted to give up coming to God in prayer? Maybe because you haven't seen the prayers answered that you've been praying. Or at least the timing isn't right according to your timing, your timetable. Maybe we've been so influenced by the secular culture which says that prayer is a waste of time that we're discouraged to pray. Maybe some of that thinking has seeped into our mindset as well. You know, in the wake of the San Bernardino attacks last year, was it last year that that happened? Um, Some politicians were tweeting out that we're praying for the victims and families of this terrorist attack. And then other people began to tweet and say, it's a waste of time. It's useless. Um, your thoughts and your prayers don't mean a thing, someone said. And, and that, that, uh, that provoked a new term called prayer shaming that became part of the, the culture at that point. So there's this idea in secular culture that, that prayer is just wishful thinking and it's, and it's useless and distracting. Maybe some of that can seep into the church's thinking. Maybe in light of the injustice that we see in the world, we wonder, is God really hearing? Is God listening to the cries for justice? That's what Jesus is getting at here in this parable. That's the question that Jesus is addressing in this parable about prayer. God's people are crying out for justice, and the question is, does God hear? Does God care? And that, of course, is still going on throughout the world today. God's people are being persecuted and crying out for justice. I get an email every week from an organization that monitors Christian persecution called World Watch Monitor. Just this week, they reported that in the uh, Central African Republic, Islamic militants raided a Catholic refugee camp and stabbed to death 13 people. That just happened recently. In Iran, three converts to Christianity are on trial and have been sentenced to receive 80 lashes for drinking, get this, drinking alcohol during Holy Communion. 30 new converts to Christianity have been sentenced to 80 lashes because in Iran, it's forbidden to drink alcohol. Now, if you're a non-Christian, You can drink alcohol in Iran, but because the government doesn't recognize conversion, and conversion is illegal, they don't recognize these three people as converts. And so that's what's happening in Iran. There's a crackdown on house churches in Iran right now. According to this source, 43 Christians were arrested in Iran in August. Does God hear their cry for justice? Well, according to Jesus' parable, he does. He does hear their cry. And according to this parable, there's good reasons to keep crying out 
to God for justice on behalf of his people. There are good reasons to keep on praying and not lose heart. This brief parable has two colorful characters. You've got the unjust judge, and then you've got the persistent widow, the feisty widow, who's just not going to take no for an answer. Jesus describes the unjust judge this way in verse 2. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Just the kind of judge you want to have, huh? I mean, from a biblical perspective, the very foundation of justice is fearing God and respecting people. There is a moral law. God is the moral lawgiver. We are accountable before him. God has created people in his image and likeness, and so all people are due respect. That's the very foundation of justice. And when you take that away, what foundation do you have? If you take away God and the moral law and the idea that all people are created in the image and likeness of God and therefore they're due certain rights, then what basis do you have to critique when the powerful take over the weak? It's just might makes right. It's just survival of the fittest. And so from the biblical perspective, the very basis of justice is God, the fear of God and respecting other people because they've been created in the image and likeness of God. But this judge is an unrighteous judge, Jesus says. He's an unjust judge. And so the widow comes to this unjust judge who doesn't fear God or respect people. And she, again, is not going to take no for an answer. She has an enemy, she has an adversary who is mistreating her. We don't know exactly, Jesus doesn't say what was going on, but in verse 3, she comes to this judge, kept coming to him, saying, give me justice against my adversary. Now, she's one of the vulnerable, one of the powerless, one of those people who have no leverage, no resources to get things done, so she's looking to someone else stronger than her, the judge. Her hope is in the judge's response. And we know from Scripture that God has a special place in his heart for people like her, the most vulnerable, the weak, widows and orphans, strangers. In fact, God says in Exodus 22, this is Exodus 22, I believe, verse 22, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath will burn. And so that's what's going on here. This widow is crying out for justice. And she comes day after day to the judge. She shows up one day. Judge, can I get a word with you? Judge, will you look at my case? And he keeps putting her off. She comes the next day. Uh Uh-oh, here she is again, the judge is thinking. I don't want to deal with her. The, she is, um, she's what my, my friend from the south would call the squeaky wheel. My friend from the south says it's the squeaky wheel that gets the oil, and that's this widow. She's being the squeaky wheel. And eventually he, the, he gives in, the judge gives in. But not because he's had a change of heart. Verse 4, he says, Though I neither fear God nor respect men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me. 
I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And uh, the Greek word behind that word, beat me down, is, is a word about getting your eye bruised, black and blue, being pummeled by a boxer. He feels like he's just been beat up. He's up against the rope because she won't stop. And so he finally gives in to her demand for justice. Now, what's the point of this parable? What is Jesus teaching us here? In verse 6, he says, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Unrighteous judge says, okay, I'm going to give her justice. But in verse 7, Jesus says, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? In other words, if this unjust judge, if this guy who is not good will finally give justice to somebody, how much more can we trust that God who is just and who is good, hears and answers the prayers of his people. How much more can we trust God? If we see situations in life where finally people are able to get some justice for themselves, finally they're able to get a response from somebody, even though that person isn't good, but just because that person finally wants the problem to go away, how much more can we trust God who cares for his people, who loves his people, to listen to our prayers, and to respond. And so what I want to do in the remaining amount of time is just give sort of three insights about prayer from this parable we can take away today. All of us, I think, need to remind ourselves of these principles of prayer or reflect on prayer more. We can all grow in our knowledge and our practice, certainly, of prayer. And so what do we learn here? What is Jesus teaching us? Well, the, the obvious lesson here is that Jesus wants his disciples to be people who are marked by persistent prayer. Persistent prayer. Luke tells us in verse 1 why Jesus told this parable. Now, I like that when the author gives me the answer the reason why Jesus told a parable, the key to understanding the parable. Some of the parables aren't so easy, but I love it when the Bible says, okay, guys, this is the reason why this parable was told. And Luke tells us, he told this parable to the effect that they, his disciples, ought always to pray and not lose heart, not get discouraged. We need to be people who persevere in prayer, persevere in faith. This is a theme throughout Jesus' teaching on prayer in the Gospel of Luke. That he wants his disciples to be people who persevere in prayer. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer. And after he gives the Lord's Prayer, he tells another story of another persistent character. This is the story of the neighbor who in the middle of the night at midnight, somebody pulls up into his driveway and says, Hey, we're from out of town. Remember us, your cousins from a long time ago? I'm, I'm, I'm embellishing just a little bit here. <laughs> but the unexpected guest shows up in the middle of the night. And the neighbor gets up and says, Honey, do we have anything to feed these people? No, we don't have anything. We'll go over to the neighbors and see what they have. So he sneaks in the, through the, goes out the back door and knocks on the door. Neighbor, I've got some long-lost cousins who've just shown up. And they're hungry. But I don't have anything to feed them. Can you give me something? Three loaves of bread. The neighbor says, no, go away. I'm sleeping. We just got the kids down. 
Remember this parable? And, uh, and Jesus says, Jesus says, eventually the neighbor's going to get up. Not because he really cares for his neighbor so much. He's going to get up and he's going to give him what he asked because of the persistence of the one who knocks. And then Jesus' famous words when it comes to prayer. Ask, seek, knock. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. So that's what Jesus is calling for here. Persistent prayer. And let me ask you, brothers and sisters, are there some things in your life that you've been praying about for a long time? Are there some worries and concerns and anxieties that you should be praying about? Don't take it off your prayer list. Don't give up praying for those things. Maybe it's a a family member who needs to know Jesus Christ. Maybe it's a friend who needs to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe it's something in your personal life, a great concern, a burden. Keep bringing that to the Lord. Maybe it's something that's going on in the culture, in our nation, in our world. Maybe it is this cry for justice. Jesus teaches us to be persistent in prayer because we have a God, a Heavenly Father, who knows and cares. And He uses the prayers of His people to accomplish His purposes. Isn't that interesting? We get to be what one theologian has called, uh, we, we get to experience the dignity of being a cause. The dignity of being a cause through prayer. God uses our prayer to accomplish his will and purposes in the world. So we ought always to pray. Now the second thing that comes up for me, it's not really so much an insight, it's just this, this issue that comes up when we think about prayer. We wrestle with this question about answered prayer and the timing of answered prayer. The timing of God's response, rather, to our prayers. And there's a mystery about it, isn't there? Look at what Jesus says at the end of this, in verse 7. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? There's the timing issue. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. And that, again, raises the question of the timing of God's answer. I think it's a difficult part of the text. Because what about our brothers and sisters in the Middle East, in Africa, in Iran, who are crying out for justice now? And it seems like God is delaying an answer. What about those those martyrs, the brothers and sisters who've died in the faith? They cried out for justice. So this parable raises the question of God's timing when it comes to prayer, to answering prayer. One thing that helps me to think about this and other issues related to time is that God himself is outside of time. God experiences time different than we experience time. God is the eternal one. God is timeless. His perspective on time is different than ours. 2 Peter 3.8 With the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. So from our perspective, God might be delaying the answers to prayer, but from His perspective, His timing is going to be just right when He answers the prayers, and He's taking into account innumerable contingencies 
and complexities that we can't even fathom. And so we have to trust that he is going to answer prayer in his own time and in his own way. His answer may come in stages. His answer surely will come at the end of time when he will hear, or he will rather respond and answer finally and fully to the cries of his people. But there is this mystery about prayer. Haven't you experienced that, the mystery of prayer? And some prayers seem to get answered just like this, and other prayers you pray year after year after year, and you don't see the results. Now, there are some times when I've prayed or I've seen other people pray, I've seen immediate answers to prayer. Praise God for that. I've seen things happen where I, I know that really the only explanation is that there is a living God who hears and answers the prayers of his people. I've seen prayers answered immediately or almost immediately, and from my perspective, the only answer is that there is a living God who hears and answers prayer. But for the most part, I pray and I don't see the immediate answers. Can you relate to that? And so we're called to trust in the timing of God's prayer. The text says God will give just as speedily doesn't mean immediately. You know, if we could figure it all out, if we could understand how God, who is timeless, answers the prayers of his people who are time-bound, and throw in the fact that time itself is relative, and that God can see the past and the present and the future all together at one time, if we could figure out all that, how all that worked together, then we would be God-like. We're not. And so we have to come to this issue of prayer with humility and faith. And that's the final point I want to make about prayer. Prayer is an expression of our faith in the goodness of God. Even when we don't understand his timing or how it all works. Look at verse 8. Jesus asks this question, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? When he comes, will he find faith? Prayer is faith at work. Prayer is work. Prayer is hard work especially if you're dedicated to everyday praying and offering petitions to God. It is hard work, but prayer is faith at work, faith expressing itself. Christian prayer is believing that there is a God who is my Heavenly Father, who cares about me, who loves me, and therefore wants to hear my prayers and wants to respond in a way that's best for me. Prayer, Christian prayer, is knowing that this God is a loving God who's demonstrated His love at the cross of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says in Romans 5.8. God demonstrated his love for me in this, and while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so we go to this God in prayer, knowing that the proof is there, the demonstration is there, the evidence is there at the cross of Christ, that this God hears and cares and loves me. And I'm praying for this God who loves me to intervene in this situation or in my life. Um, sometimes I think we're tempted to treat God like Yogi Berra did in one of his baseball games. It was the ninth inning, two, two outs. The game was all tied up. The opposing batter uh, steps into the batter's box. And Yogi Berra, of course, was a great 
catcher. And the, uh, the batter gets into the batting box and he makes the sign of a cross with his bat on home plate. And Yogi Berra wiped it off with his glove. Yogi Berra was a Catholic. He was a good Catholic boy, but he, he wiped it off with his glove and he said, why don't we just let God sit and watch the game today, buddy? <laughs> why don't we just let God watch the game? Now that's, that's pretty good theology, probably, when it comes to baseball. Terrible theology when it comes to our life. The God of the Bible is a living God. He's the Lord. He's the Lord over our lives. And through prayer, he calls us to interact with him, and he wants to intervene in our life. Through prayer, in Jesus' name, we come to our Heavenly Father who cares for us. And so we ought to persist in coming to him. Jesus asked the question, when he comes, will he find faith? If he were to come today, if he were to come tomorrow, if he come later this week, would he find faith? Would he find a prayerful people? The more we pray, the more faith. This is what I've discovered. The more I pray, the more my faith grows. And the more my faith grows, the more I want to pray. Prayer feeds faith, and faith feeds prayer. There's this reciprocal relationship. Prayer is an expression of our faith in the goodness of God. So let me ask you, what's the prayer for your life? What's a concern in your life for yourself or for others or for what's going on in the world, the culture as a whole, in the church? Let's put God to the test in this area. Let's do an experiment. Let's persist in prayer on this topic and see what happens. At the very least, we'll see God begin to change us and God begin to speak to us. And if we watch, we'll see God's intervention in our life and in the lives around us. So the point of this parable, very simply, and the burden of my sermon, is that we will not give up on prayer and that we'll continue to come to God in faith and we'll persist because we serve a God unlike the unjust judge who is good. And if you ever doubt the goodness of God, go back to the New Testament and look at the Son. Look at Jesus Christ. Look at the compassion of Christ for the poor. Look at the compassion of Christ for the needy and realize that that is God's compassion coming through His Son. And again, look at the cross of Christ and the love of God displayed for you at the cross and realize that's God's love for you at the cross. That is the kind of God we're coming to when we pray. And we're called to come to him again and again, trusting that this God who loves you so much hears the cry of his people. Let's pray.